morning, everyone. We are in 2 Corinthians as a church, making our way through this book. We are at chapter 9 this morning, and my name is Paul Buckley. I'm um, one of the pastors here. I get on most Sundays to bring God's Word. Uh, as we gather together, we gather not just because um, we maybe are like-minded, uh, not even just because maybe we like each other. I think we do. Um, but we gather together because God calls us to and God promises to meet us and be with us. So uh, church on Sunday is ultimately about encountering God. And we encounter Him in the various means that He's given us. Uh, worship and song, worship and sacrament, and worship in the Scriptures, hearing His voice. Um, we have... An amazing privilege we have here, perhaps in our hands, or we'll see it in the uh, overhead. We have the very words of God to us. The infinite, glorious, uh, merciful, and holy God uh, wants to speak to us. And we want to hear Him because His Word brings life. Uh, and so we as a church are committed to making time in our worship to hear the Word and to have the Word taught and proclaimed. And that's my a challenge this morning, and we'll be praying shortly to ask God for His help in that, but we are uh, encountering God in His Word, and we are in chapter 9 of Second Corinthians, making our way through this book, and, and as Toby indicated already, the topic this morning will be giving. Uh, that's what the chapter's about, so that's why we're addressing this. But to whet your appetites as before we dig into the text, uh, if you could put the next slide up. Uh, it shows a picture here of giving Christians throughout the world. Uh, and there are kind of the thermometers, maybe you've seen that, are out there. And the full size of that thermometer represents the potential giving for all Christians throughout the world if every Christian simply gave uh, a tenth. So that's a tithe. The biblical principle of giving uh, really starts with the tithe, the tenth percent. Uh, we're not required or mandated in some way that's binding on us, uh, we believe, in the Scripture. But the principle is so predominant, it's really hard to, I think, to have a reasonable excuse, but there are at times. Uh, so a tenth is that principle. So that full thermometer represents if every Christian in that particular part of the world gave a tenth, how much could be given? That's in billions of dollars, by the way. So you see, just focus on the far left one, that's North America, right? So that's Canada, Mexico, United States. If every Christian in North America gave 10%, a tithe, the potential would be uh, $1,445,000,000,000. Currently though, that lower number is what is given. That's $367 billion. That's still a sizable amount. But note the difference. The difference is over a trillion dollars. Uh, and just think, if all Christians gave a tenth, the difference that would make. So a trillion dollars, that may be hard to grasp what a trillion dollars could do, but one of the things it could do is it could plant a church in every neighborhood of the whole of all of North America so that there'd be a church that proclaims God's word and lives that way and makes him known within a one minute walk, pretty much, of any populated area. Um, so imagine that your neighborhood actually has within a minute a, a vibrant church down the street. So that's what that one trillion could fund. Certainly, it could fund uh, planting churches in every area throughout the whole world. Just that's, that's just North America. Um, if, if we gave at that level. I think that's, I, I take it that as uh, a wonderful opportunity 
to challenge us uh, to give, to give generously for the potential of what, uh, what it would accomplish. While God's Word uh, helps us in this sort of growth, I think we, we can grow. And maybe you already give, but the church as a whole, we can grow in our giving. We can grow to the potential that God calls us to. And I think we can be very fruitful. Uh, and God's Word is fully able to help us in that. This wonderful chapter in 2 Corinthians 9 uh, is just chock full of reasons to give. And that's really the title and the, the main idea of the message is why give? Well, we're going to dig into the chapter and I think we'll see multiple reasons to give. At least three that we'll hit on uh, core and important reasons to give. So let's pray. And then we'll dig into God's Word, trusting Him to speak to us. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this chapter. Thank You, Lord, for what You're doing throughout the earth. Thank You for Your mercy and Your love and what You want to do. And thank You that we get to be a part of it. Thank You for this grace of giving. And I ask You, Lord, to help me first to clearly and emphatically proclaim the truth that's here. And I pray, uh, more importantly, Lord, that we would hear from You. We'd hear what Your Word teaches us, but not just to be informed by Your Word, but to be transformed, to be changed. To be changed in, in how we think and feel, and Lord, how we act. Lord, that You would uh, even radically adjust our perspective of life here through Your Word today. We thank You, Lord. You, again, are alive your word is living and active, so do your work this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Follow along with me as I read in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Paul says, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having Efficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the Gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you 
and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. God's Word in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's take time to go through this section and I submit to you three reasons that we are called to give. We'll see in the text. Called to give. We give to be faithful. We give because God is good. And we give for the good that it accomplishes. So first, we give to be faithful. Verses 1-5. through Paul's been talking to the Corinthians, we know, as we've gone through this series about this important collection. The collection is to help the Jerusalem church, which though spiritually very rich and spiritually very generous in planting churches throughout the world, is financially, materially very poor. And so this is an opportunity for the relatively wealthy church, particularly in Corinth and elsewhere, to support the spiritually wealthy church in Jerusalem. So he's collecting this money to help them, and they've promised this uh, early on in, in, in um, 1 Corinthians. We, we see that Paul has started this collection. It's from uh, the, the different churches in Macedonia, uh, near Corinth and Galatia as well. Um, and, and they've promised to participate. And so Paul is confident in their continuation of giving, but he's also concerned. He's concerned that they might somehow drop the ball here in their giving. So he's He's seen enough to be confident, but he also has seen enough to just wonder, okay, I want to make sure that they follow through with this. And that's what this first section, verses 1-5, through five, is really about. And, and so he, as we learned about last week, he's working with partnership with other churches. These churches have sent their delegates. Uh, he's working together with them to follow due diligence and how it's done. Uh, it's, a, it's a group effort with all the churches together. And so he says, I'm going to send these three brothers that I've been talking about to you, uh, with this letter uh, ahead of time so that they can help prepare you for this. And so when, when I get there with the rest of the team and the Macedonians uh, are part of that team, you guys will be ready. Uh, everything will be set up. And it's interesting to see that Paul devotes you know, a good part of this chapter, really a whole paragraph here, to making sure that the Corinthians follow through. To make sure that they follow through on their promises. And that's where we get our first point. We give, we give to be faithful. Uh, we're called to give and we, and, and we are to give to be faithful. The Corinthians are called to follow through on their pledge. Uh, they are to, to not just say in the beginning, like, yeah, we'd love to give, be all excited. You know, we promise to give and then drop the ball. Uh, there's faithfulness called uh, by God for us to practice in giving. We're, we're called to be faithful. We're to count the cost ahead of time. Jesus talks about that, right? So, so you want to count the cost. You want to consider uh, what you're called to. Count the cost. Certainly, he's talking about following him. But in any pledge we make, we count the cost. And then we are called to follow through uh, in faithfulness. I think that the, the challenge of being disciplined often can keep us from following through on our intentions. Uh, and we can live as Christians in the world of good intentions. And... Uh, I don't know about you, but for me at times, I can feel pretty good about myself because of all my good intentions. I look at all my intentions and think, you know, I have like pretty much all my intentions are good, and I must be a pretty good guy. Uh, but it's important to recognize, actually, on the final day, we're not going to be judged simply by our good intentions. Now, the Lord will know, knows all the intentions and thoughts of our hearts, so I think that'll factor. But we're judged uh, at the end, and, and we're judged to see whether we belong to Jesus or not by what? Our good intentions or our good works, right? So at the end, uh, the Lord is going to look at our works. He's going to look what, not at our, simply our intentions, like, oh, I had so many good intentions, Lord. 
But he's going to say, well, what did you do? How did you follow through? So, so faithfulness and righteousness in Scripture is more than good intentions. And that's what Paul is after here with the Corinthians. He wants the benefit for everybody in this collection. And so he called them to discipline actually earlier in chapter 16. He called them to practice certain very concrete things to be faithful in giving. So uh, we can put that verse up from 1 Corinthians 16, 1-3. So at the end of this earlier letter, about a year or so earlier, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up. So, the first day, that would be a Sunday, you're to put aside something. So be disciplined in, in making sure you take some money, put it aside, store it up as he may prosper, um, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And that's what he's doing here now in 2 Corinthians. So he's saying, guys, here's the setup. Just every week, set aside something. And store it up. It's likely, actually, that, that they would have done this in their Sunday worship service, because it's Sundays, and they probably would have stored it as a whole church. So the idea here is that they're bringing their offering for this particular gift. And this would have been a gift outside of the normal giving for the local church. It's a special offering. Uh, they would have stored it up locally. And so Paul say, says earlier, just follow through with this. And now, in this section, he's saying, guys, we, I'm a little concerned <laughs> that you be ready. Uh, we talked about that a year or so ago. You guys were so excited. And, and so I'm going to send these guys ahead of time so we're, we're making sure this thing's happening. He calls them to faithfulness, to not just good intentions, but good works. And, and we, can, we can be in danger, again, of thinking we're pretty good people because of our good intentions, but we're measured by our works. Intentions matter indeed. But we can stall there and not see that the Lord calls us to something much better than that. He calls us to good works. And in our giving, we're, we give because we're called to be faithful. I uh, ran into an example on the internet uh, the other day. A company marketed an action figure called Invisible Jim. I think we have a picture of Invisible Jim. Uh, here is the picture. That's the package. It has all the markings of a legitimate action figure. And what kid wouldn't want an action figure that can actually go invisible? Uh, it, it has all the promise of a really exciting action figure, but if you look closely at the package, there's nothing there. Not only is Jim invisible, he is non-existent. And it, of course, it's intended as a joke, but, but Paul is saying to the Corinthians, guys, we, we're not looking for an invisible Jim here. We want the real deal. We want you guys to follow through and, and not have something that, that is not really there, that doesn't deliver on promises. And the call for us as well is to be faithful as givers, that we don't give invisible Jims. Um, that that we're motivated to fall through and, and be faithful in our giving. Now, just so you know, I'm not bringing this message because, in this part of this message, because somehow I think our church is full of people giving invisible gyms. Um, I think our church is actually very generous and very faithful. Um, and, and I'm grateful for that. Um, we, and not that this is how we measure ourselves, but, but if we compare ourselves to the national average in terms of levels of giving and faithfulness, we're doing really well. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't have room to grow. Uh, and personally, Peg and I have uh, realized recently uh, that we needed to grow in our regular giving. Um, and we were, were, our intentions were good. We love to give, and it's been a practice for us. It's a joy that we have in our lives. We wouldn't, wouldn't want to 
ever have stopped. Uh, it's a blessing. But our practice wasn't always so good. And, uh, and the way I found that out was looking at our year-end statements and realizing, like, wait a second. How come it's not, you know, we give monthly. How come there's two months here that we're not giving? And then I backed up and looked at my records. That's because you didn't give for two months. And why didn't we give for two months? We forgot. Seriously, that's just simply what it came down to. And we gave by check at that point. And, um, and you know, there were just some Sundays. It was usually the first Sunday of the month. We just forgot or I wasn't there and we didn't do it. And so after the year was over, it was like your good intentions were way bigger than your good, your good works on that one. And so we, we took a practical step um, for us. And this is something I would suggest, maybe a room to grow for some of us. And again, you guys are wonderful in this. But we started giving electronically. And now uh, it doesn't rely on my memory, which isn't all that great. Um, it relies on electronics, and they work pretty well and consistently. To, and so we give that way. So maybe one application for some of you is just to move from giving with your checkbook, and that's certainly a fine way to do it, to giving electronically. So just so you know, and this isn't like a pitch to raise funds for our church, but, but it's a way to, to practically grow in this. Next slide, please. Uh, you can text this number on your phone right now and set up a, a, a one-time gift or regular giving. It's that simple. You text that number. It'll figure out that you're here at Cato Grace, actually, and you can just text an amount. Um, and then you can actually, it will guide you through how to set it up. We did that so that we could obey what we see here in Scripture. And it's been very helpful. Um, it actually feels really good to know not only do we have good intentions, but we are giving at, what we, at the rate that we intended to. So the Word of God calls us to this, to, to give, uh, to be faithful, to follow through with what we pledge, and, and to honor the Lord, and to walk in the righteousness he, he calls us to and enables us to walk in. Second point is really important, because Paul doesn't dwell there. He actually starts out there, verses 1-5, through five, and he, and he puts uh, a, a mild amount of pressure on them to follow through, but he doesn't want them to camp out there. And I don't want you guys, and I don't want us to camp out there. I don't want us to simply give because we're supposed to be faithful and follow through, though, though that's really important. So Paul is going to now, in, in the following verses, 6 and following, give all these wonderful, glorious reasons to give based on who God is and based on what giving does. And so this next point, we give because God is good. Verses 6-11. through 11. He, he is giving them uh, probably the most important motivation here in verses 6-11 through 11, to give because God is good. And, and so he starts out and actually follows through for a while in this metaphor of a seed. And he uses an agricultural metaphor uh, in most of this section. And he talks about this reality. And the reality is based on the fact that we all live in God's universe. This is how God works. This is who God is. And so this central point, he says, the point is this, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Um, this is a, a, an axiom, a truth in God's universe. And, and we see it, of course, in the, in the metaphor itself, right? In agriculture, if you want to have a great harvest, um, you need to sow generously. So if you're planting corn in your garden or in a, if you're a farmer in a farmer's field, if you plant a seed every 20 feet, right, you'll end up with not a whole lot of corn when the season comes. If you plant every 9 or 12 inches, I think, is how you're supposed to, how far apart they are. Oh, I actually looked that up. I had no idea. Every 9 to 12 inches, um, you, you will have a field full of corn. I mean, it's just, right? Duh. Uh, it's pretty obvious. Well, well it no, not only works in agriculture, it works in God's universe. That's what Paul is saying. There's this reality. If you sow sparingly, 
you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. Now with this reality though, to back up a little bit, in, in the reality of, of agriculture and in life, there's a cost to sowing generously, isn't there? Particularly in the ancient world, your seed was also your food for crops like corn and others, right? So your sowing into the harvest for next year means you don't eat as much this year, maybe. Because you, instead of eating the corn, now it's seed corn. And so there's that reality, there's that challenge that's kind of background here, and that's, that's what often makes us, I think, so sparingly. It's like, well, if I sow this, then I won't have as much now. Uh, and, and yet Paul says, this is the reality. If you want to have more in the long run, you need to sacrifice now. So if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. But if you're thinking short-term, I've got to hoard this now, you're not going to have a whole lot in the long-term. So in some ways, it's short-term versus long-term challenge here. And, and so this is the truth. This is what it means to live in God's universe that if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. It goes on. Paul goes on here. He says, even though this is the reality of God's universe, because he could have said, so guys, you must do it this way, but he actually doesn't settle for that. He says in verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Isn't that interesting? He could have said, look guys, get in line. This is the reality. Start sowing bountifully because you're in God's universe and it's an inescapable truth. But he says, wait, let's stop a second. I've talked about duty. I've talked about this reality, but, I, but we don't want you to give reluctantly or under compulsion. That's not how we're doing this thing. We want you to decide in your heart to give. To say, yes, I believe God. Yes, God is good. Yes, I love this principle actually. And I love sowing to reap generously. I love this. And, and so I give out of that motivation, out of my decision, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For, and then it says, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's this reality that God loves a cheerful giver. Um, he, he loves people who give joyfully. Who enjoy it. Who, who love to give. Who love to give because of the privilege. Who love to give because of love. Who love be, to give because they're gracious people. It, it's interesting, the word there for cheerful, you maybe have heard this before, is based on a Greek word, uh, hilaron, which is related to our English word, hilarious. Uh, and so it's not really saying God loves a hilarious giver, but I think there's a connection there. God loves somebody that just really enjoys giving. Uh, who's just like, I love to do this, and you will not stop me. I want to keep on doing this. This is one of the, the greatest privileges of my life. Um, there's a guy actually every year at Christmas, he's a wealthy businessman, I think he's from New York, and he, uh, he gives out $100 bills on the street. Have you guys ever seen any of those videos? So last year, he had a guy, he worked with a guy who was actually, I think, connected to a local church who was also struggling with homelessness. He recruited him actually to give out the $100 bills. And he posed as a guy on the street, which he, I mean, at times he was, uh, asking for money. And anybody who gave, gave anything, he gave back $100. And there's a video, it's really wonderful to watch. And watch the joy of this man giving the $100 bills and the, the blessing to people. These were needy people that he was giving to. Um, and that's a picture, I think, of what God wants. God wants somebody like that. Like, whoa, I love doing this. I love giving away what's mine. I love impacting people's lives. I love to see the difference it makes for them. God loves a cheerful giver. And it's interesting as it goes on, the, the promise here uh, that God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you 
so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So in God's universe, He not only loves a cheerful giver, but He rewards a cheerful giver. He responds to cheerful givers. Uh, He loves this quality. He loves to give. Now, this is who God is Himself. Actually, the ultimate cheerful giver is who? God. This is who He is. This is godliness. To be a cheerful giver is godliness. And so, it's only right that God would love cheerful givers because it's, it's a good thing. It's a right thing. And that's behind all this that should motivate us. It's interesting to look through here and see what the, the profound promises. It says, "...and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work." So God's response to the cheerful giver is to pour out grace to give you everything you need at all times and everything and all of life so that you will abound, you will overflow in every good work. So his, His response is to pour out grace to help you abound in every good work. And then it goes on in verse 9, as it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor His righteousness endures forever. And then verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. So behind all this, right? The seed itself, we need to acknowledge, comes from God. The ability to earn income, the income itself ultimately comes from God. He is the one that supplies the seed and supplies the food that comes. So he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Profound promises here. Now there's some things I think we need to back up and think about to get really the meaning here. Uh, First, let me tell you that verse 9, that quotation, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever, is right out of Psalm 112. You could turn to Psalm 112 and you'll find it there at the end of the psalm. And the He there, uh, it may be confusing because previously it's talking about God and then it quotes this, but the He in Psalm 112 is not God. This is the man or woman who fears the Lord, who puts their trust in God and, and loves the Lord and wants to walk in His ways. So Psalm 112 is a description of that person's character and life. And as it gets to the end, it describes the person this way. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. So the person who knows the Lord and walks after God is like God in generosity. And and then the psalm is where we find this promise that Paul emphasizes in this section. His righteousness endures forever. So what the psalm is saying is that this man, this woman who fears the Lord, puts their trust in God, not themselves, who, who, who has a relationship with God, who seeks to walk in His ways, will be characterized in these ways, will be generous, uh, will, will give generous, generously, and then His righteousness, his or her righteousness will endure forever. So there, there's a, a legacy and an impact of their acts and their deeds that, that lingers not just for a generation, but forever. That's really profound. But we need to kind of back up a little bit and maybe give some context because we might misunderstand this and maybe think, well, if I just give $100 bills like that guy, my righteousness will endure forever. And that'll be sweet. I can pay my way to heaven and, 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 you know, and, and get in. Or maybe it's, not even, maybe it's just $10 bills like a couple times a year. That'll be enough to get me in, right? My righteousness will endure forever. So that's not true. <laughs> just to say, if you're thinking it is, we're going to back up a little bit and address some truths that I think are really important to really get the full impact 
chapter. So first off, backing up a little bit, the Bible says very clearly, very clearly, and it highlights it and summarizes it in Romans 3, that there is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who is righteous, not one. There is nobody who actually does what is good in a pure, consistent way. There is nobody who loves God with the full weight of what He deserves in His goodness and faithfulness and glory. There's nobody who loves their neighbor with the, the, what they deserve as those made in the image of God. There's no one righteous. No, not one. There's nobody who's fully righteous and consistent in that righteousness. There's not one. No one. No, not, not Adam, not Eve, not Abraham, not Sarah, not, not Moses or Miriam, David or Solomon's mom, Peter sinned, Paul sinned, your kind and godly grandmother, sorry to say, she sinned. Um, your, uh, Mother Teresa, as wonderful as her life may have been, she sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not one. Well, there's a qualifier there, isn't there? There actually is one. There is one man. And he's not just a man, he's God in the flesh. And God in His mercy and love saw our terrible predicament that there wasn't one who was righteous. And therefore, there wasn't anybody that, that deserved or could have a genuine relationship with God. Because He's holy and perfect. Only good. Only and always does what is good. And so there wasn't anyone righteous. No one who could have a relationship with Him. No one who could come to heaven and dwell in heaven with Him. No, not one. And in His great mercy and love for us, He took on flesh, became a man, lived humbly, and always and ever was generous in giving. Always was righteous. Always loved His heavenly Father. Jesus is His name. He always loved His heavenly Father to the fullest. He always loved others and His life was one of giving and giving and giving and giving always. And to the point of taking that beautiful, worthy life and offering it up on our behalf, on the cross. Taking that righteous, beautiful life and in His great generosity and love saying, I want to pay for sinners and their debts. And so on the cross, He dies, He suffers, He sheds His blood, He bears the holy justice of God towards sin that we deserve to pay. He pays it in full and He satisfies God's righteous requirement for righteousness from humanity. He satisfies it fully and now He offers us, this is why we call it good news. The word gospel means simply that, good news. This is why it's good news. He offers it to us freely that we would simply believe in what He's done, believe that He is God in the flesh, and that He died for us, that we would simply believe it and receive it and say, yes, Lord. I don't want my sin anymore. I don't want my self-efforts anymore. I don't want my stinginess anymore. I don't want my selfishness anymore. I want You. And simply turning and receiving in Him and what He's done in His great generosity and love. It takes simple faith. It doesn't take any formula. You don't have to you know, fill out a form. You just simply need to turn and trust. And that goes together because when you see Him for who He is, you, you will turn. There's no way to, to both see Him as He is and not turn away from false alternatives. And in that place of simply trusting Him, 
In that new relationship, you are forgiven for all your sins. Every one of your sins. And now in Him, when God the Father looks at you, He sees righteousness because He sees you connected to Jesus in this vital way. He sees you a righteous person for Jesus' sake. And then, in the new life that you have in Jesus, He actually gives us power now to actually do what is righteous. To actually love His ways and to love others in His name. And It's not that, that humanity apart from Christ uh, can't do any good, but true goodness is to do things for the sake of God and His glory and goodness. And with genuine self-sacrificial love for others. And now in Him, you can begin to live this life of righteousness. And so now we go back to Psalm 112 and we look at this person and we have the context and we understand what's going on. This person in Psalm 112 is a person who has put their trust in God. Who's turned away and trusted Him and lives in this relationship with God. And now because of that grace that they've received, because they've encountered the true cheerful giver, the most generous one, that they can be generous to others and give to others and care for the poor and, and, and see their finances not as an opportunity to ingratiate themselves, but to love genuinely God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To love others. Yes, indeed, to take care of their own needs, but to, but to love in that. It transforms us when we understand this whole story of the good news. And now, what Paul says here in verse 9 is true. We can walk in this lifestyle of giving, distributing freely, giving to the poor, and our righteousness will endure forever because in His great grace, we're righteous in Christ, and in His great grace, He actually allows us to do righteous things that will linger forever. Your good works will linger forever. They'll have an impact on people's lives. They'll be touched. It glorifies God. God will reward you in heaven. Your, the, the depth of experience of reward in heaven will be proportional to your good works here. Now, if you believe in Christ, you're in. You're safe. You're forgiven. Uh, but, but there's a reward in heaven even in all that. Uh, where I, I think part of it is just magnifying our joy. Because we see, wow, i got to be part of all these things. And there are people here that are here in part because I simply gave a little bit of money each month. That's part of what happens. And that's part of God's design in this. And, and it's, a, it's an audacious promise here. And I hope you see it. And I want you to know um, that you guys exemplify this. And just a little caveat actually I wanted to hit on too. Uh, I want us to understand this as the Scripture teaches it. There's a teaching out there that, that says you know, if you give, if you sow the seed in faith, you'll, you'll be rewarded by getting rich financially. Um, and there's no promise here of that. There's no definite promise. Now, I have seen God bless people as they give. It, it is part of what He does. But, but He promises here a, a harvest of what? A harvest of gold coins? A harvest of righteousness. And He promises to supply grace to meet all your needs so that you will overflow with what? Wealth? Good works. Okay, It's very clear here in Scripture so that teaching is unbiblical. Um, and, and we have something better. I mean, why? Why, why waste these promises on mere finances uh, when we're promised eternal riches and glory and overflowing with good works? And I'm grateful for this church because I believe this church does overflow in these ways and you guys are cheerful givers and, and I just see it time after time. It's one of the advantages of being a pastor. You get kind of the, uh, the box seats you know, at, the, at the game, so to speak, and, and uh, I watch you guys in action. And I, I know... Uh, not all, actually, I don't handle the finances. We have a team that does that. But, but uh, I do know about some of the anonymous gifts. I won't disclose your names, don't worry. Um, that go where people are giving anonymously to care for those in need in our church. 
giving anonymous, anonymously for things like church plants, giving anonymously to upgrade our building. Uh, and it's wonderful to see. And, and I get to see, of course, along with you, all the things that are very obvious. Um, this past week, I think I have a picture of the Alpha crew from last year, but we did Alpha. And uh, it's been every year as we've done Alpha, such a, a wonderful blessing. And, and just to watch you guys in action, we had a team. I don't know how big the team was. We had a team plus guests. We had 35 people, uh, which is wonderful. We had a number of guests. Uh, and there were so many people that worked. So thank you guys. Thank you for how you give and how you exemplify this. Let's keep it up. Um, let's live in the wonderful truth of God's generous giving to us. Third and final point, quickly. We give because it does so much good. That's what Paul's getting at, verses 11-15 through 15 here. Um, he's talking about the impact on the people they're giving to. And so you'll see thanksgiving mentioned over and over here uh, in this passage. And, and so the giving is, is actually meeting real needs. Uh, so first, that's probably good to see. Uh, he says in verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Uh, so this is meeting a real need. These people have a real material need in, in and around Jerusalem for the church. They need things. Uh, and certainly this is meeting a need and that's part of the, the blessing in, in giving. But, but also, probably more importantly, it's overflowing in thanksgiving to God. That the result here, and we see it verses 11, 12, 13, and 15, thanksgiving mentioned, it will produce thanksgiving to God, um, overflowing in many thanksgivings to God as well. Uh, and then at the end, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. When we give to God, one of the, the greatest, probably the greatest thing that it does, it points people to God. And it, it has that effect, doesn't it? So, so people receive a gift, right? And they, they think, wow, I've been needy and this need has been met. I've been praying for the need to be met and now it's met. And so they, uh, they ought to, of course, be grateful for, to the person. That's important. We don't want to miss that. Um, but they're, they're grateful to God. They see God's goodness. And, and isn't that wonderful? Our, our giving of something material has a spiritual impact. It can build someone's faith. They see God at work. We know God's behind everything we have, so our giving is, is part of uh, a spiritual transaction. It's not merely material. But it has an impact spiritually on people's lives because they receive it and they say, thank you, God. Their faith is built up. And so that's partly what's going on with the Jerusalem church. They are, they are impacted uh, by the giving in, in ways that they give thanks to God. Um, they're, they're grateful to God. Their faith is built up. And Paul wants to see that connection. He wants to motivate the Corinthians for that reason. God is glorified in our giving. That's the ultimate good in our giving. Is He's glorified. People's attention is drawn to Him. Their faith is built up. They are refreshed and renewed. And there's nothing more precious than faith in terms of humanly speaking because it's through faith we connect to God. And He's most precious. And so our giving builds people's faith. It causes them to exercise faith in looking at the gift with thanksgiving. But it also meets real needs. And, and that's such a joy as well to know that we're impacting people's lives. Uh, I know you guys, uh, probably many of you give regularly. We give to Covenant Mercies. And Covenant Mercies is a ministry with underprivileged and orphaned children and throughout the world. But uh, we give to, to uh, Maria in Zambia. We give a small amount. I think it's $1.50 a day is what we give. And what a difference it makes. So for Maria, for the, our child, she gets an education that is Christ-centered that also equips her to go on to college, to get out of poverty. Um, 
She's, she, I think, has, uh, she's a, has a single, just a mom, not a dad. It provides food. It provides clothing as needed, medicine, real care from real people in a real church. It makes a real difference in her life. And our giving does much good in these ways, and I know you guys do this as well. It's interesting, too, to look in the passage, and I think I have one more point to cover here, sub-point. Uh, there's an impact not only in the giving, giving thanks to God, the real meeting of needs, but look at verse 14. This has a relational impact with the church in Jerusalem. And, and actually backing up verse 13, uh, as the Jerusalem church receives this gift, Paul says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the Gospel of Christ uh, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So that's kind of getting at what we already talked about. They're, they're seeing this giving. They're, they're, they're saying, thank you, God. And they're actually saying, thank you, God, for your work in their lives, uh, in the, these Corinthians' lives, that you've actually changed them in the power of the Gospel. They've come to encounter you, the, the generous giving God. And their lives have been changed. Now they're giving this gift. This gift is a representation of the fruit of the Gospel way over there in Corinth. We planted these churches. We sent these guys out. We sacrificed. And now we're getting to see the fruit. So that, that's part of what he's saying here. Um, and then he says, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So it's connecting the Jerusalem church with the Corinthians as they receive the gift. There's, there, there's a personal side to it. They're connecting and saying, thank you and, and we love you guys. And we're going to pray for you guys. It's, it's, it's a connection that's related to what we talked about last week in partnership. It, it made me think actually of a relationship with Crossway Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, 11 years ago, we have a picture from our VBS. They came, they volunteered to come up and help us with the, v, the VBS. Do you guys, some of us who were around then remember, I mean, we were doing our VBS, it was just us, and it was going pretty well. And these guys said, hey, can we come up and help you? And, uh, and so they, they volunteered to pay their way to come up. And they actually said, you know what, um, we know in the past that you would house people and feed them, but we want to relieve you of that responsibility. We're going to actually pay for a hotel and all our own food. And we're going to take you guys out to dinner and, and do all these things with us. They've been amazingly generous. But guys, I mean, those of us who know and are part of this, it isn't just about that, right? It's formed a, a connection with these guys. These are, it's a goofy picture. It shows we enjoy being together. Um, these are dear friends. There's a connection. We love these guys now. And we pray for them and they pray for us. And that's what giving does. When we give, it connects us to the people that we're giving to. And, and there's a two-way street in that connection. And I'm so grateful for this connection with Crossway and the others that we have as well. Well, in conclusion, chapter 9 has so many good reasons to give. We give to be faithful. We give because God is good. We give because it does much good. Let me just encourage you to, to take some steps to grow in this. Maybe it's text that number. Whatever it is, I forget the number, but you text the number and get going regularly, that helps Peg and me. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, uh, taking a step to start tithing. It's voluntary here. We don't require it, but I, I'd say that's the principle. I know it's intimidating. Here's, here's, a, here's a recommendation. If you've never tithed, um, I'd encourage you to try it for three months. And I would bet, based on what we're reading today and elsewhere, that God's going to meet you and you're going to see Him pour out His grace in some way in your life to confirm it. So give it three months to try. If it doesn't work, 
Oh, I leave it up to you and God what to do at that point. But just try it and watch God work, I think. So maybe that's your step, but whatever it might be, let's, let's grow. Uh, just by the way, um, if we've, our estimate for our church is if everybody gave, and we don't, you know, we don't track this uh, personally, but if everybody gave a tithe or what would be a tithe for our area, geographical area, we'd have another 160000 in our budget. Um, and, and when I hear that number, my eyes light up, not because of the number, because of the impact. I start thinking with that, wow, think of all the additional things we could do. We could sponsor probably almost full-time three more missionaries. So three missionaries, three parts of the world that maybe have not heard the Gospel or don't have strong churches, getting churches planted, and lives that are being changed forever through that. I think about you know, adding, adding some of the other pastors onto staff. and Boy, that makes my eyes light up <laughs> because of the help I would get. Um, I think of being able to, I mean, we could do that and have money left over to, to refinish, re-upgrade the, the basement to make it a true reception hall for the purpose of ministry. I know we've dreamt about that. Um, so let's pray and ask God to do that, but also let's take our steps to grow in our faithfulness. We have so many reasons. Ultimately, God Himself is this cheerful giver. He's so gracious. He's so good to us. Um, so let's, let's give for all these reasons and others. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I'm going to take a little bit of time for Q&A. 